Thanks for listening to the Rebuild the Seattle Seahawks podcast with me, Rob Statham. It's draft day, and today I wanted to do a few things. I wanted to share some information I've received from a league source. I want to discuss my final mock draft, and I want to end by telling you what would be my ideal situation for the Seahawks. So let's start with this then. I reached out to my source in the league yesterday. I can't share who it is, but just be reassured that it is a really, really good source. Here are a few notes to chew on as we approach the first round. The quarterback class was described as a draft full of number twos, meaning a draft full of backups. Malik Willis is seen as a shot in the dark. Kenny Pickett was compared to Kyle Trask, who was the Florida quarterback taken at the end of the second round a year ago by Tampa Bay. Desmond Ritter has, according to the source, reached his ceiling. The feeling is Willis and Pickett will go in round one, plus potentially a third. And a lot of buzz is around Desmond Ritter being that third guy at the moment. Personally, I wouldn't go anywhere near Desmond Ritter in the first round. And frankly, I wouldn't go anywhere near him in the second either. I agree with that source, that he is essentially what he is at this point. There isn't much room for growth. And when you watch the tape and you see the erratic accuracy, it's really, really hard to believe that he is going to lead a team forward to a Super Bowl. And I have nothing against the guy. I really hope the Seahawks do not trade back into the first round to take Desmond Ridder, as Tony Pauline has been suggesting. Back to the source. This is said to be a stockpile draft. I asked what this individual will do if they were picking in the 8 to 10 range. Would they trade down or would they stay put? And without much hesitation, the person I was speaking to said they would trade down and they'd be prepared to trade down into the late teens or even the 20s with the aim of trying to get a third, a fourth and a fifth round pick. He was prepared to go quite far down the board in order to get that. And the value is considered so good in days two and three in this draft class that a significant move down would be beneficial. The only player who would change that view, I was told, which means you would stick at sort of pick eight, nine, ten, would be if Kayvon Thibodeau lasted into range. If he fell, according to the source, you'd have to consider taking him due to the potential. That's an interesting thought because it perhaps explains where the Seahawks are, and I'm going to come on to this. They may well have two or three guys that they will not move off number nine for. Those guys are gone. You're going to be settling at number nine. So trading back and settling in the middle of the first round or even a little bit later than that and getting those picks day two and day three, I think a lot of GMs are going to be viewing that as the approach that they want to take. Despite what I was writing about this week in terms of the top 10 and how it may shape out, and I was kind of second-guessing myself about, is it going to be really unpredictable? Is it going to be very different compared to what we've been talking about for the last few months? This particular source anticipated a fairly predictable start in terms of who is going to be taken. and. 
he felt the only thing that could really shake things up would be if a quarterback was taken at number six. But the feeling is Carolina probably won't do that. That said, this is something that I've come to learn. Matt Rule, the head coach in Carolina, at least until this year, has had the, the final say in terms of decision-making on personnel. So let's assume that's still the case, even though Rule is considered by many to be on the hot seat. Rule recruited Kenny Pickett at Temple and Pickett committed to Temple and only decommitted and went to Pittsburgh once Matt Rule had taken the Baylor job. So there's a connection there. David Tepper, the owner in Carolina, is he's got a lot of connections to Pittsburgh, obviously, and he was involved with the Steelers for a long time. But he's also a big booster of the Pitt Panthers. So when I'm sort of thinking all of these things, and this is why I had Carolina trading down in my mock draft and then taking Kenny Pickett, because from Tepper's point of view, here is a record-breaking quarterback from the school that he boosts. You know, how awkward is that going to be if he goes somewhere else, say New Orleans or Pittsburgh, for example, and has a lot of success? And how will he square that circle in his own mind? And he may be sort of pushing a little bit here because he has sort of pushed a little bit, you know, get the Sean Watson, get a quarterback. Is he going to apply a little bit of pressure here to the people running his franchise to go and get Kenny Pickett? And if Matt Rule has got the connection with Pickett and he's kind of got final say rather than the GM, is he going to be sort of aligned with the owner here? And are they both going to be, yeah, okay, we're in on this. We're going to take Kenny Pickett. I don't think that Kenny Pickett is going to go at number six. But I wonder if Carolina will trade down, perhaps not for the most expensive deal. You know, I'm not talking like second, third, future first round picks here to go you know, into the teens or whatever, would they be willing to move back for a third, for a third and a fourth, for example, to fill out their board? Remember, they have number six, then nothing till round four, just to get out of the range there, knowing that it could go into, you know, a spot in the very early teens. I've got them going, dropping down to Houston's pick at number 13. They're probably not going to miss out on Kenny Pickett by doing that. Could they do that? They could still get a Trevor Penning in that range. You know, I think there'd be options there for Carolina. So, you know, just... The feeling that this, this person I was talking to was saying, you know, for example, I asked, you know, is, is Iquanu going to go number, number one overall? Because people were suddenly suggesting that. And he just said, no, he didn't see that happening. He thought the only offensive lineman who could go number one overall was Evan Neal, but he didn't think that was going to happen either because of the Cam Robinson extension. So, yeah, the, the feeling is, you know, the offensive lineman, the pass rushers are going to go, the cornerbacks are going to go. Receivers will get into the top 10. No big shocks. No, oh my God, I can't believe that's just happened. Decisions in the first sort of 10 picks. That's, that's the feeling from this particular source. So we'll see. Aiden Hutchinson and Trevon Walker are going to go very early. Probably, I would say, still one and two, but the order to be determined. Hutchinson's been described as damn good by the source, but not special. But both players carry the note of Nothing negative. That's what the source told me about these two players. And in a draft like this, if you've got the athletic upside, if you've got traits that are very attractive and there's nothing negative there, that's one of the reasons why they'll go quite early, I would say. Kayvon Thibodeau is said to be the third pass rusher drafted from this class. Now, there's always a chance he could rise. I mean, there's, there's a lot, a little bit of buzz that Detroit might take him at number two. 
I spoke to my source about where he's going to go. He said it's 50-50 that Thibodeau will go in the top five, but it's 100% that he's going to go in the top 10. So Thibodeau is not going to drop out the top 10. I know Peter King's mock had him at 13. Seattle traded back, got him at 13. This source says, no, there's no chance that he's going to go in the top 10. But I asked about Thibodeau because he's been a, a big talking point, hasn't he, with his character? And he was described as being set in his ways and all about money. And to be honest, he was described as a bit of a pain in the ass regards to all of that. And apparently when he had the team meetings, he would not stop talking about money and business and being an entrepreneur. So much so, according to this source, that his agent had to have a word with him to try and get him to stop doing this and just to basically shut up about all of this stuff because it was hurting him. That said, Thibodeau was also described as the most talented pass rusher in the draft with a chance to be great. And at the end of the day, talent always wins out in the NFL. And he's not a bad guy. These are not huge character flags that are going to send him tumbling down the boards. He's not been videoed with a gas mask bong or anything the night before the draft. This is nothing like that. It's simply a man who has got a very clear idea on what he wants to do financially. He wants to be, he's, he says he, he describes himself as a true entrepreneur. He's constantly talking about his business interests and what he wants to achieve in his life. And then he will reference that football will help him get to where he wants to be. And look, people can complain about the NFL in this regard and say, well, this is ridiculous. This is typical of the owners. Look, if you're going to pay somebody millions and millions and millions of dollars to come in and be a focal point of your team with a top 10 pick, and you have a guy who is talking that way and sort of sees football as a means to an end, and you have another guy who's got a very similar grade and he's coming in and he's talking about scheme, he's talking about winning Super Bowls, he's talking about football being his life, that's the kind of thing that, you know, in some, in some draft rooms, they're going to be having that conversation or they'll have already had that conversation by now as to whether or not you want to take that guy who is business orientated and sees football as a means to help him get to where he wants to go in terms of business or a player who is saying, I'm all about football. But eventually somebody, and that could be number two to Detroit or it could be number nine to Seattle, somebody is going to take a chance on this guy and say, the talent wins out. We'll, we'll live with him being very ambitious in terms of being an entrepreneur because we're just too good. And he is too good. And personally, I'm not worried about the busy stuff. He is hardly the first player to come into the league with bold ambitions of a business empire. So it doesn't worry me in the slightest, frankly. And, and we'll talk a little bit about Thibodeau again in a moment with the, in regards to the Seahawks. The source reiterated without prompt what was reported a couple of days ago from the Evan Neal camp, because there's been this speculation that there are some injury flags there. Neil was not asked to return after the combine for a medical recheck. Players who are flagged with medical concerns will be invited back to the combine and they'll go through more rigorous testing. The fact that Neil was not asked back is indicative of this not being a big issue. Neil was described as the top offensive lineman by this source with legit potential to play left tackle. I've been saying he looks a lot like a really amazing guard 
who can play tackle as well, but might not be quite as good at tackle as he is at guard. This source said, no, he is a legit left tackle. Iki Aquanu is viewed as a guard. And that's the difference. And when I asked this source about a range for Aquanu, they said pick sort of seven to nine. Now, I don't think he's going to get to pick seven to nine. So if you are minded to hope that he lasts to Seattle, I don't think it's going to happen. But I just wanted to sort of give you the inside, you know, as people are talking about Aquanu going one, people are talking about Aquanu being the best player in the draft. According to this source, at least in the league, Evan Neal is the clear number one offensive lineman. Aquanu's number two and is seen as like seventh, eighth, ninth best player in the, in the draft. I was told that Charles Cross is the number three lineman and deserves to be ranked in the eight to 12 range. That's not big news, given the way everyone's been mocking him. But I'm highlighting this because it goes against what I've been saying in terms of what grade I think he deserves. I've got a second round grade on Charles Cross. I don't think he's that impressive as a prospect. But there are people who disagree and think he should go a lot earlier. I still think he will be off the board by Seattle's pick, and I'm quite happy about that because I would not be that interested in him for the Seahawks. And I don't think the Seahawks will take an offensive lineman who didn't run block in college and has not got the biggest frame and is not explosive and is not particularly agile. I don't think that they're going to do that. But it's just worth mentioning that he is rated a little bit higher than I've been talking about within the league, at least with this, according to this source. Logan Hall, the defensive tackle or inside-out rusher from Houston, has a real chance to go in the late first. So does Connecticut's Travis Jones. And I've been mocking Travis Jones in the end of the first for a while. Logan Hall, you know, there's been a, lot, a fair bit of buzz about that he could go in the late first. I was told there's a decent chance that could happen. There is supposedly one team late in round one, a good team, who is said to love Devontae Wyatt. That's expected to be the range for Devontae Wyatt, by the way. So the late first round, between 20 and 32, I would say that's the kind of range he's going to go. I'm not saying he's going to go at 20, by the way. I'm just sort of using that as a number because I don't think the Steelers would take him. But he's expected to go in that kind of range. And there are, there's at least one team that really, really likes him. Jordan Davis, his Georgia teammate, is very highly regarded, but is seen as a two-down nose tackle. And according to this source, was more of a second half of round one type rather than a top 10 type. And I get that. You know, I really like Jordan Davis, but he is what he is. I mean, if we can talk about, yeah, do you know what? What's the positive? 340 pounds and he runs in the four sevens. That's freakish. He's explosive. His explosive testing was stunning at his size. If I did a weighted TEF grade for him, it would be off the charts. It'd be insane. But when you actually watch the tape, he can shoot gaps with his quickness. There's no doubt about that. He can two-gap brilliantly. If you want that type of player, fantastic. But he isn't going to disrupt passing games. And from the Seahawks' perspective, and we'll come on to this in a little while, in a bit more detail with Davis, if you're playing the, the Niners and the Rams and Kyler Murray in your division is a big two-gap in nose tackle, really? the kind of player that you need because they're very creative with their running. But with Murray, he scrambles. You know, Jordan Davis isn't going to be chasing him down. You know, the, the nine is everything that they do in their running game. They'll get it outside, they'll get to the perimeter, so do the Rams. So is that the kind of 
Is that, is that how you want to launch a rebuild with a player like that? Not sure. But according to this source, he's not sort of top 10. He's more first round solidly, but, but not necessarily top 10. Trevor Penning is viewed as a top 20 pick. Top 10 is seen as a reach, but he is considered a legit top 20. Something to bear in mind. You know, this source is not saying he's a you know, late first round. He said, no, top, top 10 too rich, but 10 to 20, that's the kind of range. My source didn't rate Lewis Seen as highly as I did at all, the Georgia safety. He liked him, but he had him day two, day three, and the number five safety in the class and viewed him as a box safety only. So the order that he had for the safeties, the top five, Hamilton, number one at Notre Dame, Dax Hill at Michigan, number two, Jaquan Brisker at Penn State, number three, Jalen Petrie at number four, Lewis Seed, number five. Just wanted to share that because obviously Seed has had a meeting with the Seahawks. There's a lot of buzz about him going in the late first. People are sort of wondering where he's going to go. I don't know whether this source is an outlier or whether this is how the league views it and maybe the hype's just a bit much there. You do wonder sometimes whether, you know, the media... And they get in, they speak to coaches at Georgia and they mention all these guys and they chuck Lewis Seen's name in there as well. I mean, I've watched the tape. I think he's, I think he's a tremendous player. So it could just be that this source sees something that nobody else does and just doesn't rate him as highly as, as perhaps I've been doing and, and other people who the media are speaking to. But just something to bear in mind, you know, and as the Seahawks are meeting with him, it might be to get a bit more intel as to exactly who he is what he is, whether he's a fit. I, I, I didn't have him in my first round of the mock draft, though, off the basis of hearing this. The other thing is people in the league are already talking up about the, the top of the 2023 draft and how exciting that is. There is a lot of buzz about the, the, you know, the main two big-name quarterbacks, Stroud at Ohio State and, uh, and the guy at Alabama. I'm not as high on those two as, as perhaps this source was suggesting uh, Bryce Young is very small, very small. And, you know, I think that's going to come into focus more as he becomes more of a, a draft, you know, as he, he, now at the moment, he's just a really good Alabama quarterback. The minute that people start sort of analyzing him with the, you know, this is for the pros, where's he going to go? They actually look into it. He's very, very small, very small, something to remember. Stroud, I'm just, mm, I, I'm, I'm not sold on CJ Stroud. I've said before, Will Levis is the guy that I'm most excited about. But then there's the brilliant Alabama pass rusher, Will Anderson. He is getting, he's getting a lot of NFL buzz. So getting extra stock for next year is going to be seen as a big win. If any team can pull that off, I'm not sure they will because everybody's going to be viewing this the same way. But definitely, if you, if you can get some extra stock for next year, that will be seen as a big win. Didn't talk about Jermaine Johnson with the source when I had this conversation, but previously I have talked to him about it and he said that he likes Jermaine Johnson, but he views him as sort of the 11 to 20 range, which funnily enough is the same range that we're talking about here for Trevor Penning. So, I mean, in my mock draft, I had him going at number 10 to the Jets and I had the Seahawks trading down. I, for a while, I thought Jermaine Johnson wasn't going to be there for number nine. I think it's more realistic now because if Derek Stingley is going to go a bit earlier, 
Because remember, you know, if, if Stingley rises, someone has to fall. That's why I've got Jermaine Johnson falling. For a long time, I've had Stingley available at number nine. I've mocked him to Seattle. I've had people trading into Seattle spot to go and get him. If he moves forward and goes number three or someone trades up or the Giants take him, for example, someone has to move down. And I think of the, the players we've been talking about in the top 10, I think it would be Johnson of the group that, that does ultimately last to number nine. And I love him. I think he's a fantastic player. Thing to remember, though, and this is what I did with the mock draft, is if the Seahawks kind of, they grade him very similarly to, to Trevor Penning, let's say, in that 11 to 20 range, and they know they can move down like six spots, four spots, whatever, and at least one of them is going to be there, and they have needs at both tackle and edge rush. I don't know if they'll, they'll rush to the podium like I was thinking they might do if he was there at number nine. Personally, I hope they take him at number nine, but just mentioning that. And I do think the Seahawks are, desperate, are going to be desperate to move down because this is a foundation-building draft, and the source agreed with that when I put it to him, that ultimately getting more picks day two and day three, that's, you know, this source was saying, just get as many picks as you can, essentially. You know, take as many shots. You've got a big chance to get numerous contributors. It's not, in this draft class, it's not really about, okay, if you pick 12 times, you know, it gives you 12 chances to get four guys. It's it realistically, if you pick 12 times, you might have some eight, nine, 10 of those guys contributing on your roster, not just quickly, but you know, long-term getting second contracts in the NFL. So that's how good this draft is seen. And yet the top 10 isn't viewed that strong. And I think this is part of the reason why all of a sudden in the last sort of 24 hours, all of a sudden Thibodeau has been talked to us about as a potential number two pick. And Stingley's been talked about as a number three. You know, these are the guys that if you go back sort of two or three years, we've all been expecting to be sort of like number one, number two overall at the top of this draft class. And if, if people in the top 10 are thinking, do you, you know what? I just can't, you know, Aiden Hutchinson's not quite special enough. Travon Walker, not quite special enough. Equanu, not special enough. They're going to end up sort of falling back on the big names, the names that have been expected to go this early, the, the, the top testers. The players who were seen as, oh, you know, these could be guys at the top, top of their position at the NFL. And that is the Thibodeaux, that is the Stingley Juniors, that is the Evan Neals, who could go a little bit earlier. Now, if one of those lasts to number nine, then yeah, you, you stay and you take them. And I think if Stingley Jr.'s there, or Thibodeau's there, or if Evan Neal was there, I think they'd probably take him. I think if those three guys are gone, that's it. I think they're going to move out. I think they're going to try and move down. I think there's going to be enough interest, assuming the Jets don't trade away number 10 for Debo Samuel, even if they do. Are the Niners going to try and take a receiver there? You know, you've got the Saints looking to move up reportedly. You've got the Eagles looking to move up reportedly. You could see the Chargers moving up. I've got the Texans moving back into the top 10 for Stingley. They could be in the receiver market as well. They're said to love Garrett Wilson. So I think there'll be the opportunities there for Seattle to move down. And then I think they move. I've got him in my mock draft, sort of moving down into the mid first with Philadelphia. I could see it with New Orleans. I could see it with Houston as well. If they do that, if they get into 15 behind Baltimore, it could be a case of okay, if Penning's there at 15, you take him. If the Ravens take him at number 14, you take Jordan Davis. I think really sort of 14, 15 could be Davis or Penning. So, you know, and it's, it's just which order they two go if Seattle moves down into that range. But then there's other teams looking to move up. You know, when Jerry Jones is talking about being interested in moving up, they desperately need offensive line help. 
won't be surprised if he's having a good look at Trevor Penning or another receiver. So I think that number nine could be a good spot for, for trading down. I think that we'll do that. In my mock draft, I had them trading down for a third, fourth, and a fifth, um, and then taking Trevor Penning. So to talk a little bit more about the mock draft, I have got Trevor, Trevor Walker going number one overall to Jacksonville. I com- would completely understand if that doesn't happen. I know there's been talk about Trent Balker, the GM, wants Walker. Doug Peterson, the coach, wants Iquanu. The owner wants Aidan Hutchinson. I still think it's going to be Walker. And then I think Detroit, I get why they're talking about Thibodeau and I get that all of that, that fuss around. Are they going to take a really talented player there, the best player perhaps on their board at number two? I still think that the local market, that being able to bring the Michigan guy home, the attitude of Aiden Hutchinson will appeal to the staff there. And that's why I've got him going at number two. I've got Evan Neal going at number three. You know, people have, that was the trendy pick a while ago. People have moved off that. I still think Laramie Tunsil's not for long in Houston. You can put Evan Neal in at right tackle or guard, and then you can shift him over to Tunsil's spot. They could trade Tunsil after the draft before training camp try and get some more stock for next year and plug in Neil at left tackle. I, I still think there's a chance they go over Neil at number three. I think the Jets could go Iquanu. You know, I, I think there's a feeling, you know, there's been reports from Mike Garofalo saying essentially Thibodeau could go number two to Detroit, but he definitely won't go number four to the Jets. You know, is that too early for Jermaine Johnson? I've got them taking Johnson at number 10. Obviously, they've got to find a receiver from somewhere, but there's been, Iquanu has been connected quite heavily to the Jets. So I've got him going at number four. But the Giants taking Charles Cross, and that would mean that Neil, Iquanu, and Cross are all gone before Carolina's on the clock at number six. I think they want to trade down anyway. I've got the Texans trading up to get Derek Stingley, who they've been heavily linked with, and I've got Carolina moving down to number 13. They get a third and a fourth, and they can take Kenny Pickett in 13th position as opposed to taking him at number six. And as I mentioned, David Tepper, Matt Rule got a connection with Kenny Pickett. Giants are number seven, Source Gardner, Stingley's off the board. Giants take Source Gardner off the board. There's been a little bit of buzz that they want offensive tackle and a cornerback. The Bills guys, you know, uh, Joe Sheen, the, um, the new GM, had success drafting corners early in Buffalo. Was had, you know, has had success drafting a corner early in Buffalo. And then that would leave Kayvon Thibodeau at number eight. Now, I think Thibodeau's floor is eight. I think he would be perfect for the Seahawks, and I think the Seahawks would be perfect for him. Comes to Seattle, gets the right coach in Pete Carroll. He's going to let him be himself. He's not going to worry about all this business interest and stuff. Um, the idea of having Thibodeau across from Daryl Taylor, tantalizing prospect. I don't think he's going to get past Atlanta. I think if he drops that Atlanta, they're the team that are going to go, okay, we'll take him. But there's every chance he could go to the Giants. He could go to the Texans. He could go to the Lions. I, he, the idea of him being at number nine, it's a wonderful thought. I just don't see it. I think Atlanta will take him off the board. I've then got Philadelphia moving into Seattle spot for Jamison Williams. The Jets take Jermaine Johnson. They're going to have to find a receiver somehow. Part of me wonders whether they'll just take one in round two and then try and get Debo Samuel again with maybe some of their draft picks next year. We'll see. Washington, I've got taking Kyle Hamilton. That's been the trendy pick. Minnesota, Trent McDuffie, they've been connected to him. Carolina, Kenny Pickett at 13. Baltimore, number 14, Jordan Davis. Could see them going Trevor Penning here, but if Penning goes off, maybe Seattle takes Jordan Davis. Like I said, I think 14-15 could be a Davis-Penning combo. Seattle then 15, Trevor Penning. New Orleans, Garrett Wilson, 
dropping a little bit here. And I, that was probably one of the things I'm most uncomfortable about was having Garrett Wilson drop into number 16. Uh, but I do think the receivers in this class have maybe been just pumped up a little bit, a little bit. So I've got Jamison Williams at nine and then none until 16. You know, I've seen people like saying there's a receiver at eight, a receiver at nine because someone trades up, a receiver at 10, a receiver at 11. And it's like, wow, you know, where's this rush coming from? Um, I'm not sure that's going to happen. And we could see some of these guys lasting into the mid-teens. So New Orleans, Garrett Wilson, Chargers, Chris Olave, bit of speed to com complement what they've got. Tackles are gone at this point. Philadelphia, Devin Lloyd, they need a, a linebacker. Dax Hill expected to go in round one. I've got him going to New Orleans. I, I don't think they'd ideally do this, uh, but he's kind of a hybrid safety cornerback. Obviously, they'd, they'd like a tackle or a quarterback. Uh, but Kenny Pickett's gone. I don't think they're going to take Malik Willis. Uh, the tackles are gone, so they have to pivot a little bit here. So I've got them taking Dax Hill. Pittsburgh, Malik Willis. I'm not sure Malik Willis is going to go in the first round. I've got to be honest. There's a chance that he falls to round two, in my opinion. In my opinion. I've heard a couple of things. Not bad character things or anything like that. Just heard a couple of things that might mean that he's still there at the end of day one, let's say. Um, I'm not going to go into it too much because I, I can't verify this. Like I say, it's nothing to do with character or anything like that. It's more to do with how he plays. Um, we've talked a lot about that, about him rejecting options over the middle. There may be a reason for that, let's just say. And um, I know that's very obscure. And uh, let's just say, I, I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance he could drop out of round one. But then Pittsburgh have, have shown a lot of attention towards him. So we'll see. New England, Zion Johnson, I think he could go earlier than this, but, you know, having traded away Shaq Mason, I think this is an ideal fit. Got Drake London lasting to 22 in the Green Bay Packers. Judge Karlaftis to 23, Arizona. Dallas, Traylon Burks. You know, Jerry Jones loves his Arkansas guys, so uh, Traylon Burks to Dallas uh, to replace uh, Mona Cooper. Um, Buffalo at number 25, Andrew Booth is a Buffalo-style cornerback. Tennessee at 26, Tyler Smith, the tackle, could see them going quarterback there. Matt Corral, maybe. Tampa Bay, 27, Travis Jones to replace uh, Ndamukan Sue. Green Bay, 28, Devontae Wyatt. Could see them definitely doing that. He's, he's a Packers-type player. 29 to Kansas City, Kyler Gordon, and then Boya Mafe, the second Kansas City pick. Logan Hall at 31 to Cincinnati, sneaking into the first round. And then N'Kobe Dean to Detroit at number 32 which means only two quarterbacks. Uh, I, I just don't think... Look, I've watched the quarterbacks. I've watched nearly every game that these the, the top quarterbacks have played in 2021 and a lot of their 2020 stuff as well. I feel very, very confident talking about the quarterback class in this draft. And I just don't see it. I just cannot see a situation where a whole bunch of these guys are going to go in the first round. And look, you know, everyone's still saying, oh, Desmond Ritter and... Howell and Corral are going to go in the first round. Well, yeah, these same people were putting like Malik Willis at the number two overall not so long ago and Kenny Pickett at number six. And now we're saying there might not be any quarterbacks taken until number 20. So, you know, if they got that wrong, are they going to get this wrong as well? I think they are. And I don't think Desmond, I don't think you can justify Desmond Ritter in round. Well, I don't think you can justify Desmond Ritter in the first two rounds, let alone round one. So we'll see how it goes. Um, so, yeah, I had the Seahawks trading down. And then in my sort of seven-round projection, you can find all this on the Seahawks draft blog. Um, so I had him taking Trevor Penning at number 15. 
You know, I was torn at 40. You know, do I have him moving up a little bit for Tyler Linderbaum? I just put him at number 40 anyway. Tony Pauline had him at, available after 41. So I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to put him at 40. Well, people have to remember, centres don't go early. I think the average position of the first centre being drafted is something like 48th overall. So one is you've got the size issue with Linderbaum anyway. Two, you've got the fact he's not a scheme fit for everybody. Um, and, and you've also got the emergence of Cam Jurgens. So I do think there is a chance that he could go at 40. Silks have said how much they want a player who's got a wrestling background with Austin Blythe's size. That is Tyler Linderbaum. So uh, I think there's a real chance that he could be he could be a pick for Seattle there. But I also think someone like Sam Williams, the pass rusher, could be a great option there. And then and then I had Channing Tindall at number 41 for the linebacker spot. You know, there's a lot more detail on the blog, seahawksdraftblog.com. If you want to read why I've picked these players, Damian Pierce running back Florida in round three. I've got him taking Michael Clemens and Logan Bruss, more linemen. Uh, and then Thea Munford uh, from Ohio State, Clemens pass rusher, Logan Bruss, a guard, um, and Thea Munford, a potential project tackle. And then finishing it off with Percy Butler, safety, special teams, Dynamo. Uh, Romeo Dubes, the uh, receiver from Nevada. I think the Silks will love him. Carson Strong, who's going to fall because of the knee injury. I think the Silks will wait until later in the draft to take a quarterback. And I could see them just taking a punt on Carson Strong, just throwing him into the competition. And then Jalen Watson to, to round things off the quarterback from Washington State. So that was the draft that I went with for the seven-rounder. Um, like I say, all the details on the blog, go and check that out. Now, I'm going to finish this podcast with my ideal situation. At number nine, as I've talked about, if a Kayvon Thibodeau or an Evan Neal or a Derek Stingley Jr. is there, that is the, the dream. I don't think they're going to be there. At number nine, I would take Jermaine Johnson. Take a pass rusher who dominated the senior bowl around a 1.55 10-yard split, who can come in and be an alpha and energize that team across from Daryl Taylor. I want to see the Seahawks have a great pass rush. You know, the idea of the Seahawks having a great pass rushing defense, uh, uh, that to me is second only to finding another franchise quarterback. I want that. I want them to get after teams of the pass rush. So I would take Jermaine Johnson. But if they do trade down, you know, I'd be comfortable taking a Jordan Davis. I'd be comfortable taking a Devontae Wyatt. I'd be comfortable taking a Zion Johnson. And I'm not totally against the Trevor Penning situation if you move down. What I don't want is trading down for Trevor Penning, um, snubbing a load of better players in the process, and then trading up for Desmond Ritter. You know, I can, I can live with the Penning pick. I can't live with the Ritter pick that was being suggested this week. If they go defense with their first pick and take a Johnson or a Stingley or a Thibodeau, um, which is my preference, then I'd like to see O-line addressed next because I think there's some good offensive linemen at the top of round two, whether it's Cam Jurgens or Tyler Linderbaum or Cole Strange or Abraham Lucas, who I really, really like at tackle. You know, I would prefer to have Lucas at 40 or 41 than Penning in the middle of the first round. That would be my preference. So, and if anybody says, ah, but Lucas is, he's from the, the air raid, like, no, he's not. Washington State been running the ball 42, 45% of the time the last couple of years. He's got a 91.0 run blocking grade per PFF. He's a better run blocker than a pass protector at this point. Abraham Lucas, um, he's a Seattle type of offensive lineman. And I would take him at the top of round two. And then, you know, if you take an offensive lineman, you take a pass rusher first, then an offensive lineman. I'd then be open to taking a linebacker. You know, we've talked about the names a lot. Or simply the best player available. You know, if one of the top running backs is there, happy with that. If 
there's a great receiver that you like, or a sa- even a safety. I mean, Christ, just take best player available. Just take, if, if that's what it is, I just want to see them you know, improve the trenches, get best player available. If that's another offensive lineman, fine. If it's another defensive lineman, fine. Whatever it is, cornerback. And just list every position. I think just take the best player available. Make sure you address the trenches first, then take best player available. That's what I want to see. Don't get into this quarterback market. That's the key. Just, just leave it alone. Just wait. Wait till next year. So that's my ideal. And, you know, if, like, if you can come out of this draft with Jermaine Johnson and Tyler Linderbaum as your first two picks, for example, that's a home run for me. I'd even be saying, look, Jermaine Johnson first, Tyler Linderbaum at 40, Abraham Lucas at 41, home run. If you take those two players and then take a best player available at 41, home run. That would get me excited. What will make me feel demoralized is trading back into the end of the first round for quarterback. Now, it is worth noting that I've read Tony Pauline's three-round mock draft. He has the Silks moving down into the middle of the first. That should get you a three, a four, and a five in terms of draft compensation. I've, I've broken that down in, on Silks draft blog in my mock draft. Check it out. Tony thinks it'll only cost a fourth to go from 40 to 28. So it's not a hugely expensive thing. You know, it's not like they're going to give up future firsts or a third rounder or something like that. He thinks it'd just be a fourth to move from 40 to 28. That'd be a great value for Seattle to get back into the first round. And if they really, really, really love one of these quarterbacks, it's not, it's not an atrocious deal in terms of a trade. I just don't rate the quarterbacks. But I suppose this just end on this. Now, why would they go after Desmond Ritter if he's reached his ceiling already? I guess because he's been going into interviews and apparently telling them, telling all the teams of this plan that he has to win the starting job in year one. And I can imagine him walking in there and Pete Carroll and John Schneider falling for that. I'm not falling for it, but buying into it. And he has been a winner. He's never lost a home game. And he has helped elevate Cincinnati. But let's also remember he's playing with the Source Gardeners and the Alec Pierces and the Brian Cooks and people like that. It's not like Cincinnati were a terrible team and, and Ritter drove them forwards. He was playing with top, top NFL players on that team. And when you watch the tape, the Navy game, the East Carolina game, the first half against Notre Dame, the Alabama game, you don't see anything. You don't watch him and think, I'm watching a future top 10 quarterback here. To me, he feels like exactly the type of player that you're constantly trying to replace for the next five years that you, you end up in that quarterback purgatory. At least with a corral, I think you're sitting for a year. Could he be a plus Jimmy Garoppolo? Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl in an NFC Championship game. It's not great, but you know, he is what he is. I think corral can at least get to that. So I, you know, I, could, I can get behind that a little bit more. I can't get behind Desmond Ritter in the first round. I think it'd be a mistake. But I don't want to end on a negative. So I'm just going to say this. Enjoy the draft. I, I, you know, I love this time of year. This is my favorite week. I think the sort of the hours leading up to the first round are the most exciting because there's all the thoughts going on in your head. You're wondering what's going to happen. After the draft's finished, that's kind of the, you know, the, the long, boring bit till training camp. So enjoy this day. And, you know, whatever the Seahawks do, try and enjoy the draft. When it begins, I'll be hosting a live blog throughout on Seahawks Draft Blog, giving my thoughts on every single pick as they come in with an instant reaction live stream to a follow immediately with Robbie Williams. So join us on the YouTube channel for that. 
I'll embed the file so you can watch it on the blog as well. On Friday, I'm going to be doing a further stream with Jeff Simmons. This will be at 1 p.m. Eastern time or 10 a.m. Pacific time. And we will reflect on what Seattle's done in the first round and we will look ahead to round two. Then on Friday, when the draft begins again in round two, the live blog will be live again. We'll do the instant reaction stream with Robbie Williams afterwards. And that'll be the same on Saturday. Live blog, stream to finish at the conclusion of the draft. Thanks for listening to the Rebuild, a Seattle Seahawks podcast. Have a great time this weekend. And let's hope for the best. <laughs>